it's Easter Sunday. This is like the day of the Christian calendar. You know, we should call it V-Day. Because <laughs> today we have the victory. And I was asking God, I was saying, God, what do you want me to say on Easter Sunday? Because, you know, you can sort of preach the same thing all the time. And he said to tell his story. So I thought it's a great thing to do on Easter is to tell Jesus' story. So how about we pray and then we'll talk about Jesus' story. Father, we thank you. You're an awesome God. Holy Spirit, we say, come fill this place. Come fill it to overflowing. Let your power and presence just fill this place. We want to see Jesus glorified. We want to see Jesus magnified. We bless you. We honor you in Jesus' name. We bless you. Amen. The story starts back in Genesis. Comfortable? Because <laughs> it actually ends in Revelation. <laughs> Are you really comfortable? No one's going to ask to be, have they? But it starts in the beginning, and, and God creates all of creation. He makes the heavens, He makes the earth, He makes the plants, the animals, all these things. And then he creates man and woman, and he makes us for relationship with him. The only problem was that Adam and Eve, walking by the mango tree, don't tell me it was an apple tree. No one sins over an apple. There's a mango tree. They take the mango, whatever the fruit was. They eat the fruit they weren't supposed to eat. And it creates a separation between us and God because we're made for relationship with him. But suddenly there's this gap because God is pure and God is holy and God is right. And Adam and Eve, when they sinned, became impure, became full of sin. Because what they did was they chose themselves. They chose to listen to Satan rather than following God. And when you put anything before God, that's just wrong. It doesn't matter what it is. And they chose not to live their life God's way. And it created a separation. And God wasn't happy about this because he made us for relationship with him. He didn't make us computers that he could just program in a whole lot of robots that we'd walk around like this and, you know, yes, God, whatever you want. He made us to have thoughts, to have feelings, to have emotions, because he wanted us to have a real relationship with him. And so this gap comes between God and us. And God's not happy about it, but the funny thing is God's the only one who can do anything about it. Because the only way that we can get right with God is by living an absolutely pure life. And we can't do that. I know we can't do it because none of you have done it, have you? And I know I certainly haven't. And don't pretend you're sitting there all righteous and holy. I know your stories. 
So God said, you know what? I want this relationship back with my people. And so he said, I'm going to make a way. So the father says to Jesus, what I want you to do is I want you to be born as a man. And so an angel appears to Mary and says to Mary, look, I know you're not married. I know you haven't been with a man because you can't say sex in church. So we have to say being with a man. Oh, sorry, don't say it. But you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's a story to tell somebody. So you're pregnant. Who's the father? God. Can you imagine trying to sell that one? What a courageous woman, eh? Saying to God, sure, absolutely. Because she had a choice right then. The angel comes and says to her, she had a choice to say, you know what? I don't want that story. I don't want that burden. I don't have to deal with that because no one's going to believe me. I mean, I'm engaged to Joseph. Joe ain't going to believe me. My parents ain't going to believe me. The whole town isn't going to believe me. And back then, if they didn't believe you, they took you out and they stoned you. She's only like 16. But hey, she says, unto me, God, whatever you want for my life. And so she becomes pregnant with Jesus. And Jesus is born. And Jesus lives for 33 years. And in that time, he lives without sin. Because you see, the price of our sin, the things we've done wrong, is, is eternal death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death for all eternity. And that means that when we leave this, when we die and leave this bit of earth, we don't get to go to heaven for all eternity. We get to go to hell. And hell is not a cool place where all your friends are. A lot of people say to me, hell is a place of torment and suffering. Hell is a place where it says your body's eaten by worms and consumed by fire and yet it's not burnt and it's not consumed. It just has that like being on fire but never burnt. So you have the feeling of being on fire so it hurts but you're never consumed. And like your, your body's eaten by worms and just gnawing away and that's disgusting, isn't it? It's not a party. And Satan sold this lie all through there going, you know, oh, you know, I'm in charge of hell. Satan is not in charge of hell. Hell was actually made for him. He is going to suffer too. That's the price of our sin. But God said, I don't want this for my people. I want people to be in heaven. And heaven is not floating around on clouds playing pretty little harps. Heaven is one big party. You know, if you're sitting in church and going, oh, well, I don't like the dancing and the raising of the hands and, and you know, the standing up and, and, and the live music, you're going to be disappointed in heaven. Because <laughs> the music in heaven rocks. You know, it says Jesus is our rock and he rolls our blues away. <laughs> He's the original rock and roller. It's a Cliff Richard song. 
But heaven is a party. You know what? You can go skiing in heaven. Do you know that? You can climb mountains in heaven. You can just lay in the meadow in heaven. Because it says at the end of the times, we get a new heaven and a new earth. So you can be in heaven or you can actually be on the new earth. Doing all the stuff that you wish you'd done. But the thing is that there's no, there's no sin, there's no sorrow, there's no sadness. It's just one great, big, long party celebrating Jesus. Does that sound good? Certainly better than being eaten by worms and consumed by fire, yeah? <laughs> Don't know about you, but I'm in the heaven train, you know. <laughs> Where was I up to in the story? Jesus, living a sinless life. All right, so the price of our sin is that we get to go to hell. The Bible says the wage of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God, eternally in hell. But he says the gift of God is eternal life as opposed to eternal death in hell. Eternal life in heaven and on the new earth. But the only way we can do that is by being absolutely pure and righteous. But we already messed that up because we were born into sin. You sinned before you knew it was sin. Yeah? We're born selfish, aren't we? As a baby, it's all about us. Yeah? I read a baby book once going that, you know, you shouldn't let your your two-month-old do that. You shouldn't let them scream and yell when they're hungry. You tell them when they should be fed. There are some people you just wonder how stupid they can be. But we're born selfish. We cry, we demand. We go through our younger years and we learn what's right and what's wrong by usually doing what's right and what's wrong. Yeah? But the point is that we do wrong and we have sin. So we can never ever be the righteousness that God requires. But the only way that there could be is if there was a perfect man who would die on behalf of us all and take on himself our sin. The problem is that none of us is that perfect person. And that's why Jesus came. And he became born as a man because he was perfection. Because he wasn't conceived of man, he was conceived of God. So he was pure. And he lived his life. And it says that Jesus was tempted like we're tempted. You know, when you feel like losing your temper and yelling at somebody, Jesus had the same temptations. When you want to shake your head at that person and wonder what planet they're from, Jesus had the same temptations. He was tempted in the same way that we were tempted. But he did not sin. Because understand, temptation is not sin. Sin is sin. All right? Giving in to temptation. And so he lived a perfect life, overcoming every temptation. And then we come down to the week that leads up to Easter. And he rides into town on a donkey. And he goes and cleanses the temple and says it's a house of prayer. It's not about 
trading and buying and selling. And then he gathers his disciples together. And they're having the Passover feast. And the Passover feast was something that the Jewish people did every year to celebrate what happened back in Exodus when, you know, the Red Sea parted and they walked through. And they got delivered from Egypt. And they'd have this feast every year. And in the middle of that feast is where Jesus took the bread. And he broke it. And he says, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. So where your body deserves to be broken and crushed because of your sin, my body is going to be broken for you. And then he takes the cup and he says, this wine represents my blood, which was shed for you. So indicating he was about to go to the cross and shed his blood. And this, this blood, it washes away the sins of the world. That when you take the cup, he says, remember that I've washed away your sin. Your sin is no more. That you don't have to spiritually die because I will die for you as that perfect sacrifice. So after they leave the Passover feast, they go out into the Garden of Gethsemane and and there Jesus is praying and the disciples are tired and they fall asleep. Jesus goes and prays for a while and he comes back and he sees them asleep and wakes them up and says, pray with me. And he goes off and prays again and comes back and they're falling asleep again because they didn't understand what was going on. So he goes away and prays some more. And this is where he says to God, look, if there's any way I can get out of this, you know, he uses nice language, anyway, this cup can be passed from me. In other words, any way I can get out of this, I'll be happy to get out of it. If there's a way we can do this without me dying, I'm okay with that. Because Jesus was not really keen on getting beaten up. It wasn't like he didn't experience the pain when he was beaten and crucified. He knew it was coming. I mean, he was a carpenter's son. Joseph, his stepdad, I guess you'd call him, was a carpenter and he taught Jesus to be a carpenter. And I'm sure there are times when, you know, Jesus is banging in a nail and he hit his thumb. Because he was just like us, remember? And he probably felt like swearing his head off. There are probably times where he got splinters in his hands and he knew the pain of having a splinter in his hands. Or maybe he whacked a nail and he got a nail in his hand. He knew what the pain was like. So he knew that to go to the cross and to be crucified on the cross was going to be painful. And so he was keen not to go. But he said something. After he said, if this can pass from me, he said, Father, but not my will, but your will be done. And it wasn't, you know, people use that in saying, oh, we don't know the will of God. Yeah, we know the will of God. And Jesus knew the will of God when he said that. And that's what he was saying. Look, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want, Father. I'm happy to avoid the pain. But it's not about me. It's about what you want, Father. And so he goes and 
the, the people come and, and the, 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 from the Sanhedrin and, and the soldiers and they come and they arrest Jesus. And, and there among the people arresting him is Judas Iscariot. Now, you know, we think, oh, terrible old Judas. But Judas was with, you, with Jesus for three years. For three years, Jesus put into him. He was a part of his family. He put into him. He encouraged him. He taught him. Judas was out there when, they, when he sent them out to pray for the sick. Judas went too. Judas was the treasurer of the group. He used to pilfer a bit out of the money, but he was the treasurer. And here he's someone he's poured his life into. Someone he's loved comes and betrays him. And Judas leads the soldiers out. And he kisses Jesus on the cheek. Because he said to them, the one that I kiss, he's the one. And they arrest him. In the middle of this, Peter gets all, all fiery, one of the disciples, and pulls out his sword and, you know, has a go and cuts off this guy's ear. And the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus looks at Peter and says, that's not how we're doing this. Look, I could, I could call 12 legions of angels, 12,000 angels, and they'd set me free. It's not about this. In the middle of all this, where he's about to be arrested, when he's about to be beaten and crucified, he heals this guy's ear. Don't you love it that he's just healed this guy's ear, but that does not change anybody's heart. They're so hard and set against him. And they drag Jesus off and they put him through a mockery of a trial and they couldn't get that right. They kept bringing in false witnesses to tell stories and they couldn't agree with each other. And they kept messing it up until it was Jesus sort of, it was almost like Jesus at the point goes, this is getting ridiculous. Okay, yeah, I'm the son of God. Which was enough for them to crucify him because they said, you know, no, how can you be like God? They obviously didn't know their Old Testament. And so by his own words, he's condemned before them. And they drag him out and they beat him. And then they take him to Herod. And Herod hopes he'll do some tricks for him because he's heard the miracles that Jesus did. But Jesus says nothing. So they take him to Pilate. And remember, he's been up all night. And Pilate talks with him and can find no fault. And Pilate's wife comes and says, have nothing to do with this guy. I have had a dream and I've been troubled. I've been slept all night. It's been terrible. Pilate tries to set him free. The people say, no, no, you set him free. Then essentially we're going to cause a riot. And Pilate knows, see, the problem with the, the political situation then is, for Pilate, if he has another riot, he's going to lose his job. So he can't afford a riot. So he says, I'll give you a choice. I can set free Jesus, who I find no fault, or I can set free this guy over here called Barabbas. And Barabbas was, was a murderer. He was a, he was, it was a bit of a terrorist, really. He was a real terrorist at the time. Yeah, you know, he'd be the guy nowadays setting bombs off in buildings. That's the sort of guy he was. The sort of stuff he'd done. And he says to the people, I'll give you Jesus who I can find no fault or I can give you the terrorist who everybody hates. 
And the crowd rises up and says, we'll take the terrorist. We'll take Barabbas. Set him free. And he says, what do I do with Jesus? And they say, crucify him. Kill him. Get rid of him. So Pilate washes his hands and says, it's not on my head. And Jesus is taken out. And they tied him to this pole, chain him there. They pull his clothes off. And then they get this whip. It's this thing called a cat of nine tails. And it's got these leather straps on it. And they tie in bits of pottery and bones into this whip. And then they get the whip and they lash it so it actually goes around your back and so it grabs into your skin right around. And then when the, when the bits of pottery and the bone have, have grabbed on to your skin, the guy with the whip will then pull it so it absolutely rips your flesh, your flesh and your muscle out. 49 times. Jesus is whipped with this whip. Then they unchain him and they they beat him. This is about the third time he's been beaten and punched. It says he was beaten up so much his face was beyond recognition. Swollen and bleeding. And then they got a crown made of Judean thorns. And Judean thorns are like, you know, they're as hard as nails. And they twisted them together and they put it on his head and they get a stick and they beat the thorns into his head. They got a purple robe and they stuck it on his back and they gave him the staff to hold himself up and said, ha ha, king of the Jews. Come on, prophesy, tell us who hit you. As they beat him again and again and again. And then when the, the purple robe on his back is soaked into his skin and the blood is soaked through it and it's stuck onto his skin and starts to seal over, they grab the robe and they pull it back off, exposing all the flesh again. And then they take this big plank of wood that's going to be his cross. And it's not all smoothly, you know, sanded back and soft. It's it's just a roughly cut piece of wood, bits of splinters sticking out everywhere. And they tell him to pick it up and rest it onto what's left of his shoulders and his back. And he has to drag this thing up a hill, through town and up a hill, to be crucified on it. And he gets halfway there and he just collapses because he's been beaten and bruised and he just can't carry this anymore. And they're whipping him the whole time he's doing it, kicking him, punching him. They grab a guy called Simon of Cyrene and say, pick up the wood. And he carries the wood for Jesus and helps Jesus to the place they call the skull. Napoleon said of 
of Jesus. And Napoleon's a really respected commander. And, you know, Napoleon said, I know what a man can do. Because he put his men through amazing trials and stresses. He says, I know what a man can do. And he says, because of this, I am convinced that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God. Because no man can do what Jesus did. And they took Jesus and they laid him out on his beaten, whipped body upon a cross, laying on the ground. Then they took spikes the size of railway spikes and put them through his hands and his feet, nailing him to the cross. And then they pick him up on that cross. And while he's stretched out there with those nails, they drop the cross into the hole. And the only way you can breathe, see, when you're on a cross, you die from asphyxiation. You die because you can no longer breathe. You actually suffocate. And the only way you can breathe when you're on the cross is by pulling on the nails in your hands and pushing up on the ones in your feet. And there's Jesus up on this cross. And while he's up there, he pulls on those nails in his hands. He pushes on the ones in his feet to grab a breath to say things like, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. To say things like, John, take care of my mum. And there comes a point at the end where he says, it is finished. And when he says that, the sky turns to black. But back in the temple, there was a curtain that separated where God was and where the people could be. And that temple, massive three meter high, high curtain in there, is torn down the middle. And when Jesus said it is finished, what he declared was the beginning of a new life, the beginning of a new hope. Because you see, he then went down into hell and he didn't sit in a grave for three days. He went down into hell and he beat the heck out of Satan. Because Satan, while all this is going on, he's down there and he's watching it going on and he's going, I win, I win, I win, because he didn't understand what was going on. He's down there and he's having a party. And you know, and Jesus dying on this cross and he's hanging up there and Satan goes, I've won, I've won, I've killed God, I've won. And he goes, what do I do now? Maybe I'll go and have a picnic. I've seen people have picnics, it looks like fun. Maybe I'll make myself some nice hot sausage. What do I do? And while he's planning what he's going to do, he sees Jesus die. And all of a sudden, through the gates of hell, this light starts to come. And the light increases and it increases. And he starts to hear the words of the Bible being spoken out. He starts to hear the prophecies of old rising up throughout hell. And he's going, how can this be? How can this be? And around the corner comes Jesus. 
And Jesus starts to speak the prophets of old. He starts to speak the Word of God. He starts to speak life. He speaks salvation. He speaks healing. He speaks forgiveness. He speaks repentance. He speaks wholeness. And all of hell is shaken. And that's what Jesus was doing for three days in hell. He was preaching to the demons and torturing them. And on the third day, he says it's enough. And he has the keys to life. And on the third day, on the Sunday morning, he comes back up out of hell. He's locked up the most fiercest demons. He comes back up. And he comes back to life. And the stone that was in the tomb, they'd laid him, is rolled away. And Jesus walks out alive. The disciples didn't know what to do. They got to the point where they went, you know, Peter said, I really don't know what to do. So he went back fishing. He says, what do I do with myself? Because they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They thought it was over. So they're back out there fishing. And they're fishing all night and they caught nothing. They must have been really bad fishermen. This is the second time they've recorded that. They can't be that bad. She had a fleet of boats. Must have been all right. But they've caught nothing. And in the morning they're about to come in and this guy stands on the shore and says, have you caught anything? And they go, no. He says, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and they put the net out, and it says they caught 153 fish at a time when you don't catch fish. Don't you love the way the Bible counts them? Don't tell me numbers don't matter. It tells us 153 fish. And Peter realizes it's Jesus, he's alive. Grabs his coat and he's in the water. Swims for shore. The other guys, I love this, they bring the boat in. You know what? They got a net that probably takes about 70 fish. It's got 153 fish in it. But the net doesn't break. Don't you love that about Jesus? He gives you a catch and the net doesn't break. And they come into shore. And Peter, Peter the guy that said in the middle of Jesus' greatest trial, deserted him. In the midst of Jesus' greatest trial said, I don't know him and distanced himself from him. Jesus looks at him and says to Peter, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? Finally, Peter says, you know everything, God. You know I'll do anything for you. And I love you. And God restores him. The first man to be restored. The first man to be made right with God. The first man who discovers what forgiveness through what Jesus did happens in his life. And he's set free. As he realizes he has no more sin in his life.
that everything he's ever done wrong is washed away. Because Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took every sin. He took every sickness. He took every bit of poverty. He took every curse. He took every mistake ever made. And he took it on the cross. And he took it down and he buried it deeper than hell. And then he came back to life to say, I am the master over sin. I am the master over sickness. I am the master over death. I am the master over everything you have ever done wrong. And then he gives us a choice. He says, I've taken everything you've ever done wrong, every bit of your guilt and every bit of your shame, and I have buried it, and I give you the gift of life with me. This is why heaven is a party when we get there. Because there is no more of this stuff. And this is why Jesus said, I came to bring heaven to earth and you can experience heaven now. You can celebrate in him. You can dance in church. Because what we're doing is celebrating the freedom we have in God. We are called ambassadors, Paul says. An ambassador who's someone who represents their nation somewhere else. If I was the ambassador for Australia in Kenya, then I would be a little bit of Australia in the middle of Kenya. And I would eat Vegemite on toast in the middle of Kenya. And I'd have a meat pie while watching the football. Because it's a little bit of Australia in the middle of Kenya. Or anywhere it is. And we're ambassadors of heaven. So we have a bit of heaven here on earth. So the party that's in heaven, you can have here on earth. The freedom in Christ that's in heaven, you can have here on earth. That's why Jesus died. To bring heaven to earth. But we have to receive it. It's a freely given gift. The gift of freedom. The freedom from from sin. The freedom from the things that we've done wrong, messed up. The freedom from the guilt and the shame around that. And the amazing thing is that when he gives us freedom from that, it never comes back. He says, as far as the east is from the west, I remove your sin from you. And east and west never meet. Because east is, where am I? That way? West is that way. And you know what? I could go a thousand miles that way. And east is still that way. And west is still that way. And I can go all the way around the world. And they still never meet. Because the horizon for the east is always over there. The horizon for the west will always be over there. They never come together. And so you and your sin and the consequence of your sin can never come together if you accept forgiveness from God. It's forever removed from you. It's not even written in God's book. It's blotted out. All that's written in the book of God is Jesus. Because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus in you if you've accepted him as your Lord and Saviour. And that just means that I choose to live for him, I receive his forgiveness, and I choose to do my best to live for God. That's what Jesus died for. That's why he came back to life. That's why we have Easter. That's why this is the coolest day of the year. 
And the great thing is we get to have Easter every day. If you want to have chocolate every day, you can have chocolate every day. Because it's not about the chocolate. It's about the freedom in Christ. And the great thing is the freedom you have today, you can have every single day. You just have to choose. People say to me, but, but I'm not good enough. No, you're not. You're a lousy, rotten sinner. You are a dog. You're lower than the flea on a dog. For the things that you've done. Until you come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus and you ask him to forgive you of your sin and the things you've done wrong, you know what he says about you when, he does it, when you do that? It doesn't matter what your sin was. You know, if Hitler had repented just before he died, he would have gone to heaven. How can that be? Because it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. So it doesn't matter what you've done. If you ask Jesus to forgive you, he will forgive you and remove it. And you will go from being lower than the speckled flea on the dog, he says, to being a prince of heaven. He says you are a royal priest in his kingdom. You are an honoured ambassador. You are pure and holy and righteous. And it says, made in the image of God. So you look like God. That's how God sees you. But we have to choose to accept it. Just like at Christmas, when we celebrate Jesus coming and being born. You know, if someone gives you a gift, you have to receive the gift. You have to open the gift and receive it. It's the same with the life that Jesus offers us through him dying and him coming back to life. You have to receive the gift. How do you receive the gift? It's really simple. You say, Jesus, I am a dirty, rotten, messed up person. But thank you that you love me. And I ask you forgive me for everything I've done wrong. And I choose from this day forward to live my life as you want me to live it. I give you the leadership of my life. You are my Lord and my Savior, and I live for you. And you make a decision every day to live for Jesus. And yeah, you'll mess it up, but Jesus made provision for that. He says you can wash feet. Hey, Monica. He just says, you come to me every day, and when you mess it up, just say, sorry, I messed it up. I got a bit angry there. I thought the wrong things there. I did the wrong thing there. I'm sorry, God, forgive me. And he forgives you like that. It's gone. Because God loves you. And he loves you exactly as you are right now. And what's really awesome is, He loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you like you are right now. He wants to make you to be the best you that you can be. Because God made you. It says before the foundation of the world, before he even brought the world into creation, he knew you and had a plan for your life. A plan to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. 
He had an awesome plan, but the only way you can be the best you is in relationship with him and giving him the leadership of your life. Because we were made by God for relationship with God. We were made to live life abundantly. It says we're made to be above and not beneath. We're made to be winners and not losers. We're made to be successes and not failures. It says that right throughout the Bible. But you can only do that out of a relationship with God. And you have to make that choice. And it's a daily choice sometimes. But you have to make that choice once off and say, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. We're going to take communion in a minute. You know, we're going to take the bread. And whether you're here for the first time or you're our oldest member, that's cool. We're going to take the bread and and we're going to eat it together just to celebrate what Jesus did for us. And we're going to drink the, the cup to celebrate what Jesus did for us. And there's nothing magical about the bread and the cup. But what it does is that we're saying we recognize who Jesus is and what he did for us. But before we do that, I just want us to pray. So let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, if we can all do that. And I want to ask you, while we're sitting here and we've been talking about what Jesus did for us, let me ask, where are you with God? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you been set free from those things you've done wrong and the guilt and the shame that goes with them? Or are you holding on to them? Have you asked Jesus to come into your life and give him the leadership of your life? Because that's the only way you'll get free of the guilt and the shame and the things that you've done wrong in your life. He's offering right now to you. He says to you right now, if you ask me into your life right now, I will set you free. I will come and live with you. I will live in your life and I will empower you to be all I made you to be. I will set you free from your sin, from the things you've done wrong, from your guilt and your shame. And I will give you abundant life. But only you can make that choice to receive the gift that he's given. He's offered it, but you have to receive it. So I want to ask, while we're all here, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to pray a prayer. And in that prayer, you can actually, when you say it with me, you can actually give your life to Jesus and ask him to set you free. If you want to be a part of that prayer, I want you to just put your hand up. Everyone's got their heads bowed and eyes closed. Say, include me in that prayer. I want to be that person. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just put your hand up and back down again. Just say, include me in that prayer. I want to be set free of the things in my life. I want Jesus in my life. I'm sick of carrying my guilt and my shame. I'm sick of all the things I've done wrong. I want to get them out of my life. You can get them out of your life right now. Just simply put your hand up and saying, I want to be in that prayer. Include me. I'm not asking you to come out the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is between you and God. And take five more seconds. Just slip your hand up now and say, include me in that prayer. Thank you. Anyone else? Just say, include me in that prayer. Thank you. God, God's still working. I just want to wait a minute. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up now. Don't walk out of here because you don't know what's around the corner. 
Get your life right with God. Thank you. Maybe you've been around church a while and you're saying, I need to get things right with him. Just slip your hand up. You can be in this prayer too. Anyone else saying, I need to get things right with God? Just a few more seconds. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. We're going to pray together. So I'm going to ask you to open your eyes and look at me. And as I say this prayer, I want you all to say this prayer with me. And as you say this, I want you to understand, as you say these words and you mean them, all of heaven is listening. As you confess your sin to God, he will forgive you right at that moment. And it will be gone from your life and no longer in your life. You will be set free. We're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. And he is going to come and abide in you. And it says that when Jesus went up, he gave us the Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us, to be our counselor, to be our conscience, but not just in a bad way, but to help us to make powerful, right choices to become who God made us to be. And Satan will have no more hold over your life. It doesn't mean you're not going to have tough times. It means that God is with you in those tough times. And he is going to take you through. That you don't go through life alone. You go through life with God walking every step of the way with you. And it says that the saints of heaven, all of heaven, cheering for you to be who God made you to be. I can't think of a better thing to do on Easter Sunday than to give your life into Jesus' hands. So we're going to pray this. I'm going to pray and I want you to repeat what I say. And just mean it from inside you with everything you got. I was thinking, how do you do that? I don't know. You just do it. Then as you say it, you're meaning it. Own your words. And Jesus will come in your life. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. So you could have relationship with me. Forgive me for my sin. I am sorry for everything I have done wrong. Wash it out of my life and set me free. I renounce the devil. I choose today to live for Jesus. Come into my life, Holy Spirit. I want to live for God. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You know, the Bible says there's a party in heaven. Hey, Jed, there's a party. Do this. All right, maybe they dance better in heaven than I do. But there's a party in heaven. There's a party in heaven over you. Now you start making good choices. You know, you need to rock up to church occasionally, like every week. Because you know what? I discovered that when I became a Christian... I couldn't actually do life without coming to church and having someone encouraging me and speaking into my life. Without having somewhere to hang out with people, it's important. It's important to hang out together. You do things like reading your Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, catch me off the surface and saying, I haven't got a Bible, I can give you a Bible. If you've got a King James at home that's full of these and thous, come and see me and I'll give you a Bible you can read. Because I struggle a little with the these and thous, you know, getting the context and, you know. I'll give you one that's in English, as in 21st century English. 
not 16th century English, all right? But, you know, you can also pray. You can talk to God. And let me tell you how to talk to God. He and I had a conversation this morning because, you see, I, I busted my shoulder a few days ago, and it's been excruciatingly painful. And, you know, and I woke up this morning, and it was excruciatingly painful. And, you know, I'm the healing guy, you know. I'm into healing, and so I know that I'm healed, but it still felt excruciatingly painful. And so I talked with God, and my conversation was something like this. Oh, it hurts! <laughs> God, I could really do with some healing here. Because you can talk to God like that. You don't have to be, oh, Father God. I had to get the light right. <laughs> oh, Father God. Thou who art awesome in heaven. Hallowed. If you want to pray like that, if that's how you talk normally, then pray like that. If you know what God says, really? Because you know how God talks? Like you do. Because he made you for a relationship. I mean, I have my wife, and if I talk to my wife, oh, wife is... Vias who be so stunningly beautiful. She would look at me and going, what have you been, you know, what drugs are you on? What was the medication the doctor gave you again? There's no relationship in there. You know, we talk normally. Funny, she talks like I talk and I talk like she talks because we have relationship. God's the same. Praying is just talking to God. But take time to listen because he'll start to speak to you too. And as far as I've heard, God doesn't talk in King James either. <laughs> He's never said this to me yet. All right? You can do that. This is part of a relationship you've stepped into with God. Where every day you can read the Bible and you can find out more about him. Where you can talk to him like you talk to anybody and he'll listen. Where you can hang out in church and we can have a party together and celebrate a bit of heaven on earth. And we can do things like take communion, which if I don't take now, I'm going to forget. So we're going to take communion. We're going to pass the, the bread around, the crackers around. Just take a cracker and just eat it and just say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us.